7.33. The gig economy, then. It might seem a bit like an opportunity to be your own boss. But that freedom comes with its own chains. At least the downsides have been recognised by last week's passing of a California bill, which is seen as a significant step toward a new paradigm for a changing workforce for those people who've forgone benefits for the sake of flexibility and occasional incentives. Let's bring in Professor Vina Dubal from the School of Law at the University of California, Hastings, to um, pose some questions uh, on this gig work bill. Thank you for taking the time. Happy to be with you. So could you just briefly explain the idea of the gig economy for anyone who's not clear on that? So the gig economy in the U.S. is not necessarily new. Um, it, it Generally, the term refers to work that is um, contracted, so as opposed to sort of stable full-time employment um, work in which someone is considered an independent contractor and doesn't um, get the same benefits as an employee would. Um, prior to the tech-enabled gig economy, which is how, how we now use the term, they were sort of one-off gigs. You would maybe mow someone's lawn, that was a gig. You would um, you know, uh, uh, fix someone's plumbing, that was a gig. Um, and it wasn't con- sort of consistent full-time work. What happened with the tech-enabled gig economy is that these tech platforms, these companies, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, um, they use the same legal model of independent contracting um, and, um, and got people, you know, signed up to work through their app. Um, and they said, well, we are not a traditional company. We aren't responsible to you as an employee. You, you're, you're your own boss. We'll give you the, the work. We'll set the prices for the work, and we'll even control you while you're working through algorithms, um, but you're not our employee. And what that did for the companies is that that lowered their costs by about 30%. Um, in the U.S., being, being an employer is, is quite expensive um, because all of our safety nets go through employment. Um, so it made, it made um, it saved the companies a lot of money, um, but it made the work much more precarious for the workers themselves. So being a driver, for example, for one of these car well, they call them car sharing apps. Let's just call them basically what they are, alternative taxi apps. Um, yeah. To, to be a driver for one of them, uh, is that truly even the gig economy? Can we actually consider it to be what you described before? Um, everything from mowing a lawn to maybe taking a job as a high-profile actor. Those are the kind of things that are based on short-term right. arrangements and with no long-term protection. Right. No, I don't think so. And I think for a long time, regulators in the U.S. and actually throughout the world have been sort of bedazzled by the platform and have been unwilling to see that actually what's happening is um, what's what has been happening in the industrial world for years, which full-time employment. People log on to the app, they rely on a company to provide the work, and they get paid by that company. Um, it's not one-off work. And it um, and it is um, and it is was made that much more difficult and that much more precarious because these companies um, pretend that it is one-off work. But what if you are, let's say, a, a, a photographer, and a, a company decides to use you one day, and you do a great job, and they think, okay, we'd like to use this photographer again, and they 
end up using that same photographer over years on a monthly or even weekly basis. I'm just creating a hypothetical scenario here. That that wouldn't feel like a an employee in the same way as, say, uh, a, an app driver. But on the other hand, it, it still counts as something that's regular and, and perhaps the feeling of being a regular employee. Um, that's right. The, the main difference, at least under the, um, under the California law, the new test um, that just passed, is the question would be, is the photographer working for a photography company or is the photographer working for a company that does something different? Say, is the photographer working for a, um, a, uh, a small business that right. um, sells clothes? And if the photographer is doing something different than the business, um, then they are not core to the business and might be considered a contractor despite the fact that they are interacting frequently with the same, um, with the same company. If the photographer, however, was working for a photography company, um, under California law, under the new law, that, that photographer would much more likely be found to be an employee of the photography company. So this is called assembly what bill. He's doing is core to the business. Yes. So I just wanted to refer to its name. Is, is Assembly Bill 5 is is the title. Uh, if anyone wants to That's look up right. all the the small print and so on, but 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 are there particular gray areas that could be still exploited by employers? Well, I mean, Uber is saying that they are not subject to the law because they are a platform company. Um, and so their workers will continue to be exploited. And, and I'm certain that the other you know, tech gig companies are going to follow suit. Um, it's an argument they, they've made in courts and have largely, <clears throat> have largely failed um, in, in convincing judicial bodies that this is the case. But they argue that our core competency is software. That's what we do. And our drivers are doing transportation work. They're doing taxi work. And that's what they do. And so, therefore, we should not be responsible for them. Um, so, you know, just because this bill passed doesn't mean that there is sort of an automatic um, automatic uh, uh, check on the exploitation of the gig economy. Um, there's going to need to be a lot of enforcement. There's going to be a judicial inquiry as to whether Uber's, Uber's argument carries any water. Um, as to other industries... There were a number of exemptions and carve-outs, and one of the most interesting carve-outs is actually in the nail salon industry. Um, so, you know, in, in the U.S., many nail salon workers are misclassified as, um, as independent contractors. Um, so these are mostly um, Asian immigrant women who um, work for a larger uh, company, and that company refuses to pay them wages and instead makes them pay to work. They have to rent out their um, their space in order to work. And so they actually are carved out of this bill, but the legislature has given um, the nail salon companies two years to come into compliance. Um, so after two years, hopefully we'll see more security in that industry. From the employer's position uh, do they get any guarantees under this bill of uh, a certain number of working hours or do they have any protection if they want to change the structure of their workforce i.e fire employees what, what does that mean yeah it's a great question so in the u.s we have we have at will employment um, which means that even in an employee context um, employers can fire 
workers for no reason at all, good reason, bad reason. And this, um, you know, the only, the only places where we have just cause employment where the employer has to actually give some um, real reason for termination is in the union context and for government workers. And so, you know, employers are completely protected in that, in that regard. They can, they can continue to terminate workers at will. They don't have to have even a good reason. Um, and they have, a, employers in general under U.S. law have a lot of flexibility to shape their business model in the ways that they see fit. And they are using that, um, that power in the aftermath of this bill's passage to, um, particularly in the tech-based gig economy, to threaten workers. They're saying, you know, now we can put you on a shift schedule if you're an employee. Now we can um, make sure that you only work in certain places now that you're an employee. Um, and so they're using it actually to push back against the bill. The um, entertainment industry is pretty big in California, isn't it? Is that uh, affected in any way or do the short-term contracts that exist from movies to music and other areas of entertainment, do they already cover themselves pretty well? Um, That's a great, great question. Um, a, A lot of artists, um, in the entertainment industry are exempt or explicitly exempt from the bill. Um, but a, a, it's, it's important to note that a lot of the entertainment industry is also unionized. So while they're exempt from the bill, they have other protections in place. That's interesting to note. Okay. Um, the ramifications beyond California, it's always challenging when we make global comparisons with the United States because Clearly, uh, when when a rule is made in South Korea, a law is passed, it it affects generally the whole country. There are occasionally very local regulations, but but the ones we talk about on the show are usually nationwide. But how likely is this California bill to influence other states and potentially have a, a more global impact? It's very likely. So California was the first state... Um, and the first sort of legal entity, state entity in the world to create the category of transportation network companies. You know, Uber and Lyft are actually, um, they, of course, emerged on the streets of San Francisco. Um, and that was that regulatory term, transportation network companies, later was replicated um, in states across the United States and, and then in regulatory and rules um, in countries across the world. And so, we already have precedent for the reality that people follow what happens in California in this industry. Um, there is some um, some news in the U.S. right now that New York State is going to be um, instituting or at least introducing a similar bill following California. Um, and I saw more recently that um, the International Transportation Workers uh, Federation, which I think represents some, you know, several hundred transportation worker unions across the world put out a statement saying that they would like to see AB5 laws replicated elsewhere. So this was very closely watched by people um, at both advocates, unions, companies, and um, and state actors, regulators across across the um, the uh, the international world. And so it's it's very likely to have reverberations. Well, especially when some of these names like Uber, for example, cross borders, is going to have to have an impact. And no wonder that's why Uber is having to dig its heels in. That's, I think that's right. That, you know, they've made a real gamble. In the last six years, they have functioned 
um, on the on the premise that they could shape laws and regulations um, in ways that reflected their business model and not be subject to laws and regulations that limited their business model. They really um, put all of their money literally into the idea that they could use lobbyists and um, and and settle lawsuits. Um, in such a way that would advantage the company. And I think that this is the first real step towards pushing back to say that, you know, the democratic process actually trumps your, um, your, your firm's interests. And it's a, it's a huge threat to them, and, and they rightfully perceive it as such. Well, Professor Vina Dubal from the University of California, Hastings, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.